Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Morning. Please be aware. The views on this podcast are limited to the individual or individuals that are speaking and only pertain to them as it relates to the topic hand. They are limited to time, date, voter registration district, favorite kind of chocolate bar, top hats or ball caps, and whether Saturn, Mercury and Uranus are in alignment with the sun on the fifth day of the seventh month in the year of the eagle while you're riding your motorbike backwards up a hill. Thank you for your understanding. Goodbye. What is up, weirdos? You're listening to The Manic Pixie Weirdo. I'm Abigail, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk about all the different kinds of relationships that we have in our lives. And this week, we are talking to Kate um, about her books, and I'm really, really excited to talk to her about these. But first, Kate, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself um, and where they can find you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a writer. I'm a former teacher and uh, other odd things. Um, and I am, a, in fact, a weirdo. So this is actually the right show for me. Um, but yeah, I, I am on um, me. I have a Facebook page, Kate Lucchese. I've got a Facebook page, Finds and Keepers, which is the name of the series of my books. Um, I even have one. I do have a web page, which is Riparia Publications, like something that is, lives along a riverbank. Riparia Publications at Squarespace. Um, com, So that's another place to find all the writing projects I have going on because I've actually got a book that's coming out in Japan here one of these days. But that's another story. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. amazing though. That's awesome. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so these books, uh, Finds and Keepers. Yes. First off, could you, t- so I personally, I read The Castellina Curse, um, and now I have to be honest, yes. uh, I am not usually a romance person, mm. but I found this to be very, very intriguing because it wasn't what I expected, and it's exactly <laughs> what I like in Ooh, a book. Nice. Oh, wonderful. So, I love like I love all the like archaeology, like yeah. history, like all that yeah. stuff getting woven it like that stuff makes me so happy. I just love those books. Oh. Um and so this was like perfect. Like it and I was looking <laughs> for something new and I nice. so could you just tell everybody a little bit about first the overall um series and then a little bit about the Castellina curse? Sure. Yeah. The series was actually kind of, if I can quickly say it was inspired, but from when I was a student in Rome and I used to think it would be super creepy for uh, a Vanth to get right off one of those walls and one of those incredibly creepy tombs 
and be loose in Rome. And that's kind of how it started. Um, that and finding the actual menorah under the under Rome was another fantasy of mine. But that comes up in the next book. But yeah, so it's it's basically archaeological nerd out um, with romance and and you know fairly steamy romance. But I've been told it's really not all that steamy. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm an archaeologist. I was trained as an archaeologist in England and um, did classical archaeology as my undergraduate degree at Berkeley. Um, but I ended up thinking, oh, gosh, I have to be independently wealthy in order to continue doing this because everybody <laughs> at the department had like their own money. And and in those days, there wasn't as much science involved. And so there wasn't kind of as much kind of good grant money, I feel like. It was just like, oh, isn't this interesting? Instead of, oh, my God, now we're going to find out what they did to destroy their world so that we don't destroy our world, which is really something that archaeology does today, um, finding out how the Romans degraded their landscape and so forth. But speaking of degrading, yeah, so there's some really good stuff in here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's a weird amalgam. Um, Ursula K. Le Guin says that all your life experiences are mulch for your stories. You don't just pull directly from them and plop them down on paper, but it's where it, all your stories grow from. And so there's tons of my mulch in here. Oh, my gosh, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that you had a background in archaeology. So that oh, yeah. makes it like so much better. <laughs> There's half of this, half of this is kind of semi possibly real, but see, I don't have to prove it because it's not a paper. <laughs> That's kind of nice though. Like that feels like a little bit of like a nice change. It feels like it would be. Yeah. I can just make stuff up. If I don't know the answer, I just make it up. Yeah. There actually is a Castellina and there actually is the Pian de Civita and uh, there actually is a section C and so forth. But there, there, alas, there is no Jim Lewis. <laughs> My husband oh, keeps man. reminding me. My husband says, you know, I'm not Jim Lewis. And I'm like, darn. <laughs> you could be based on him, though, maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. We've been married forever. So there is some of that mulch in there as well. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so is that where you got the idea for this for this series? Like for this... It, from the, you, you like you said you pull from things that you know you have to write what oh, you yeah. know yeah so yeah how much of it like would you say percentage-wise is real like are the you yeah how much yeah. of it is real <laughs> i i um let's put it this way i'm really familiar with the topography of rome i've taken many student groups there um uh so anything involving a place is going to be real so um, you can be pretty much sure that there's places in Tarquinia where you can get coffee that are called those places and so forth. So if you want to nerd out and take the book and go, I want to go to Bar Impero across from the Tarquinia National Museum, you can. <laughs> I should totally do that. I would totally do yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> you, could, you could do a little tour. And, and I hope that you do. And you tell them about my book. And they'll go, curse her. <laughs> Why are all these people here? <laughs> no, no, no. Wouldn't that be nice if that many people actually read this book? But I'm so pleased that you were like, oh, my God, it's going to be one of those dumb romances. And it's actually got more going on because I am so happy to talk about these books because there's lots more going on. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you first like, like, did you decide oh. first that it was going to be a romance? <laughs> and then. That's a really good question. I, it, can I tell you what happened? It was. Really yeah. Fun. You know, I had for years wanted to be a novelist, and, and you hear these stories about characters taking over a book, and I just had the weirdest experience of, first of all, them popping up and starting to run around on their own, 
But um, no, uh, it was going to be her adventure. She was going to have an adventure. I had no idea there was going to be romance. Um, I actually thought that um, I thought that uh, Jim was gay. I was pretty sure he was gay. And that there was going to be some romance with him and another man. I thought that that was what was going to happen. And so lo and behold, she finds this hidden mundus under the ground and he turns around and gives her a huge kiss. I'm like, whoa, dude, where did that come from? I did not expect that. I didn't see that coming at all. So, <laughs> so it, they just kind of started this hot romance and I was like, I'll just follow it where it goes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's so yeah, funny. It's, it's forbidden love. I mean, the funny thing is that this is super nerdy, you know, like, Oh no, forbidden love between a research advisor and his student, you know, <laughs> but actually in the world of academics, it's shocking. That's like, oh, you must never do that. You know? So that's yeah. why, you know, it's not like, you know, the, the, the princess and the commoner, you know, which would be the standard romance shtick, right? But this is like incredibly shocking to academic people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can see how, yeah, yeah. I mean, it especially like today's culture, I think is a little bit different, but like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's still, just yes. don't be your coworkers, guys. <laughs> no, I know it's just totally uncool, right? You're doing research and you trust your advisor to give you a good, you don't want them to be hitting on you. I had to plug in my power. I'm sorry. So I'll just move over here. Oh, no, you're fine. But yeah. So um, that was, that's it. There's a lot of tongue in cheek stuff like that. But I noticed that. And I did love that you gave her a sense of humor. So the main character, um, I am so sorry, but I don't want to butcher her name. Could you say her name? Sure. Her name is Tanaquil, Tanaquil Greeno. And okay. um, yeah, so, so yeah, she does have a sense of humor. I mean, I think it's kind of, you have to, um, <laughs> and, and I, I, I sort of think that makes everything more fun. I mean, who wants melodrama? That's just melodrama. I mean, and when things get scary, it's way more interesting if there's humor and, and people get funny when they're scared, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that as well. But um, yeah, Tanical is, is her name. It's, it's a name of a, a Etruscan princess so that's that's uh that's why um oh yeah i wanted to say i'm on my on my uh facebook page about the books i do explain that the last names of all the characters are derived from academic books so there is a huge there's a huge latin textbook uh, a, a latin dictionary called lewis and short oh. uh, in, in in the classics we give our books names after who wrote them. And most of these people died like 150 years ago. So <laughs> forever they're classics of classics. And so there's Lewis and Short, there's uh, Alan and Greeno, there's uh, Liddell and Scott. And so those last names will show up in the stories. And so that's just a little Easter egg for classicists. That's so cool. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, write your characters like how what goes what process did you did it take uh for you to write Tanaquil? like she's such a complex character in so many different ways not just in like that she's funny or that she's having this forbidden love romance but there's like so many other elements to her how yes. was that to write her did she just fly off the page or was, was it really like did you struggle at some points she kind of flew off the page um 
ever since I was a younger person, I wanted to have a person of color be a heroine in my book. I, you know, I lived in India as a child and I envied the women, their beautiful black hair. And I thought, I'm such a geeky looking blonde kid. I really hate being a geeky looking kid. <laughs> I would fantasize about having darker skin and having beautiful black hair. So actually, she's she's a combination. See, my mother is Norwegian. So that kind of came up with the story. So she is biracial. Her father is black and her mother's Norwegian. And um, that was kind of my father's family is from the South. He's not black, but he's from the South. And so I kind of was kind of digging into some of that and also having fun with her being from Texas because I lived in Texas for 30 years. <laughs> so I'm not a Texan when they say, but I got there as fast as I could. You know, like <laughs> uh, but so I try to pull that in there too, because as a geographer, I have a, a PhD in cultural geography. I just love place. I just love what makes places places. But as far as the characters go, you know, it's, it, 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 I started writing these books I don't know, maybe 15 years ago was my first edition of these. And I just kind of revised them in COVID, gee, like everybody else. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's hard for me to tell you exactly where, where it all came from. It was actually kind of creepy because I had not read Elizabeth Peters' book. She writes Egyptology romances. And her, her hero, I didn't know he was like this dark haired, blue eyed guy. I was like, hey. <laughs> How did she steal my idea 40 years ahead of time? That's just so wrong. So I honestly did not base Jim on Emerson in, in those books, but I was really grossed out that he was so much <laughs> Jim. Oh, anyway. Oh, that's so, so, so it's, funny. It's hard to be scientific to tell you where these characters come, to, come from. I mean, like all good organized people, I penciled out all sorts of plans um, for the plots and the people. And, and But honestly, you know what it's like? It's sort of like feeling your way in the dark corridor and finding out where it goes. Um, I understand that Tolkien actually wrote a poem about parts of his story before he understood what the poem meant. And he had to decipher it. It was the one about the seven stars and seven stones oh, and one yeah. white tree. He wrote seven stars and seven stones and one white tree before he knew what those were. And so he had to decipher it. It is honestly a very mysterious process of finding out why did that person just kiss that person? Or why did that just happen? Why is your father an Air Force pilot? And why did he commit suicide? Or did he? And so that's the kind of thing that some of it's conscious, like I really want to do this. But honestly, you just have to go where it goes. Yeah. Well, I and you just brought something else that I love about the book, that mystery element in this book i love that mystery yes. element um and i was so thrilled because i'm that kind of i'm i'm that kind of reader where uh like i kind of know how a story is set up so i know like okay now you're setting up the setting you're doing yeah. like you have just you know and all I've, that I've stuff i've actually studied that stuff yeah i have actually you know yeah yeah go ahead keep going no yeah yeah but that, like but that's how so like i kind of know that kind of stuff so i was sure trying to just like kind of get like blow through it but I couldn't because it was so what it was so good I was just like no I need to know I need to keep all of this like I have my notes like I needed to keep nice. all of this stuff straight and everything but the mystery <laughs> so that was a really long roundabout way of saying that like um it kept me engaged and that mystery element was a part of it that kept me engaged that mm -hmm. I really loved. How did that come about? Like, how did, how did, how were you able to get all of those things in there? Ooh, that's a really good question. Now I have to actually use my brain. <laughs> How depressing. Uh, well, um, as I say, some of these things, you just sort of happen. You just know that has to be in there. 
And there's some things you can change about this story. It's very odd, but there's things you have leeway. Like, oh, I can make this happen later. I can make this happen sooner, but it has to happen. So it's kind of a gut feeling that you say, you know, no matter what happens, somehow there's going to have to be this discovery or there's going to have to be a Vance escape walking around. How that happens exactly, I don't know. But um, so those things I kind of had to make sure were there. And honestly, it's just kind of a gut thing. But as far as the mystery goes, which particular mystery are you thinking? <laughs> well, I'm trying not to spoil anything. For Ooh, those... No spoilers. So, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes. yeah, we can just wink at each other. You know. <laughs> hmm, yes, that yeah. mystery. Uh, OK, about the gold, about the van. About the, Let's the, do the van. The Vance, like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Vance have always fascinated me um, ever since I was a student. Um, they have high boots. They are topless. They wear fluttery dresses and they have big green wings. And it's like, who doesn't want to be like that? I mean, you know. Right. Anyway, I was so, like, that sounds yeah, awesome. <laughs> hello. That's what costume should be for next Halloween. But, um, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But no, and, and they're basically vampires. I think they're just secretly vampires. But, you know, they're much classier because they're Etruscan. And, and they keep turning up. If you look around in, in, in Roman art, you know, there's one painted on a wall in Pompeii. And you're like, oh, well, that's very interesting. I didn't notice that before. But the death spirits, the Etruscans are really big on those things. And, and I guess, anyway, um, so, so I knew there had to be a van. And um, and what she did, I don't know. My, one of my early versions of the story, which I really am sorry isn't there anymore, although it kind of turns up. So I had to have a section where I'm in Rome and I'm seeing deaths that have happened down through history that had to be in there. And it was the presence of the vamp that makes you able to see them. Besides the fact that Tani has Tani sense and she's basically a strega, a witch, you know, right. so she can see this stuff. But I knew that scene had to be in there and I wrote it differently earlier. I had it where she was taking the children on some errands and then they start to see all these things. And um, so much has happened in Rome that when you go there, you have a strong sense of the history all around you. And I wanted to pull that out in the story. Oh, and I think you did a great job. Like it made oh. me, if anything, want to visit Rome more. Like I'm nice. very jealous of my parents. <laughs> <laughs> they got yeah. to go and I didn't get to go. Oh, so what? That's just wrong. I know, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> but um no I think you did a great job by, uh with doing that. I think you did a really good job while writing it. Um let's pivot to the kids a little bit. Sure. Yeah. What what was that about? How did you oh. did how did that come to be and was it yeah. always there to begin with? Yeah, um you know as a teacher, I think kids are great. I think they're underestimated in terms of their humanity and their importance and their brilliance. Um I have two children I love, my older daughter and my younger son. And so they're definitely Chloe and Larry or Chloe and Ratty. <laughs> so when they were six years old and 11 years old, my daughter's 11, we lived in Rome for six months. Oh, wow. And they actually went to a little school, which will show up in one of these stories um, out in Toma di Nerone, which is just north of Rome. And just living there with them um, was really wonderful. But 
having children, and this is a friend of mine who's an art teacher used to teach with me, um, was really horrified by the danger to the children. And somehow that ratchets up all of the fear in the story is if anything happens to a child, it's like, that's the end of the world. I mean, that's just awful. So I've had to have a balance between, you know, not endangering them too much. But, but for me, I, that's part of the romance in a romance, especially if you've been married and have kids, is how you feel about your children because they're kind of part of you, each of you. Yeah. And um, so she kind of falls in love with his children before she falls in love with him because she's been taking care of them. And um, there's that connection. He loves his children too. I married into an Italian family and I was so happy that my father-in-law loved his children and showed that he loved his children. My dad was kind of an Anglo dad. It was like, man, I'm back from work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll read to you some Sherlock Holmes, but you know, forget <laughs> messing around and having fun in the, you know, so he wouldn't play with us. So that's not the father I fantasize about. And my husband is much more like the Italian dad. Oh yeah. That's a, that's awesome. I really love that you had her really, that's really what happens. And, uh, is she falls in love with the kids first. And I really like that arc for her, that beginning of that arc for her. Yeah. Um, cause it's not as it's, it's first of all, it's not typical. It, as far as like a relationship is set up, you wouldn't yeah. see that like normally, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's something different. And I really like that it's different. But I also, controversial statement, think that that's yeah. almost a better way of approaching it. Uh, so um, I, I just okay. really liked that for her. And I was like, I've, I really felt that for her. Um, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> she's certainly, she's, she's fighting her feeling for him. I hope that that's really clear because she's been attracted yes. to him from the word go. Um, and that comes out in the first chapter of, of my next, the next full book. Cause I just have a little one in between where she meets him as an undergraduate and just knocks her off her feet. I mean, she, and he likewise looks at her and go, he kind of goes, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> like, Oh, Oh, your eyes are gold. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and she says, Oh, you're the director. You're way too young to be the director. So they're smitten with each other, but he's married. She knows that already. She's got principles. She wants to stay away from him. She does have a boyfriend already. So that helps, you know, down the years, but he's on the rack every time he sees her with her boyfriend. And, um, so she's trying her best. And, you know, I feel like people can do that. They can, they can try to suppress their feelings. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly you do it so long, it's hard to break through that. Right. So I hope that came out that even when he was ready, he had divorced whatever he did. Mm. Um, you know, she was still kind of like still trying to get over that, that barrier that she had set up between them. Yeah. And I thought that that, that you played that very well as well, because it, it almost resembled like a, like a fight or flight. I, I related to it as like a fight or flight situation, almost like yeah. having like a panic attack where like yeah. you're trying not to do this, but like it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And I really, I, I related to her on that level. Um, nice. I really enjoyed that about yeah, she her. Was, she was really upset. She didn't know what to do with herself. Yeah. 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 She felt kind of betrayed in a strange way. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I, at least I did. I don't know if I, I, I hope she was feeling what I was feeling because I was feeling it for her if she wasn't. <laughs> she didn't say so. She, she is. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we talk about the grandmother? Yes. How did you come up with the grandmother? Was she always there? I need to, I love this grandmother. Oh, or this great grandmother. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and the diary. 
Uh, oh. Oh, <laughs> I have fantasized for years doing an historical novel set in the 1870s in Rome. And I just didn't have enough. I didn't have enough material. So this is a sneaky way, having the diary of her great, great aunt. It's oh, a sneaky yes, yes, way yes. of having the scenes that I absolutely wanted to be in that novel. The lightning, the, you know, the stregone, all that stuff. So it's a mini novel that's been wedged in between the pieces. Um, and it does expand the book, but yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Yes, that's the that's the the famous artist. It was kind of hilarious because mm -hmm. my edit my editor publisher she said she said where did you get this diary? Do you have the rights to publish this diary? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's all made up. It's, it's totally so fake. What are you saying? <laughs> no, I actually stole this from a library. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, so that's that. But the um the, the best amor. Best and more, I have the most one. I used to have the most wonderful great aunts who were Norwegian American, and they were just a hoot. They were just like tough and fun and funny. And um, yeah, so Best and more with her rodeo blouse and her tight jeans, she is like the mother that none of us is good enough to have because <laughs> she is like skinny and tough and smart. And yeah, I just thought she was a fun character. I, you know. My mother died about 10 years ago now, and I just feel like I want to have some cool mother characters out there, kind of in her memory and honor. Um, so that's kind of what best. She is there when you need her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she really was. She's probably one of my first characters just right out of the gate that I like fell in love with that I was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> she walks out of customs in Fiumicino and they're like, whoa is she a movie star who is this exactly <laughs> and she's like live with it <laughs> for real though <laughs> uh -huh. so okay so the castellina curse is no i'm sorry is it the first one or is it okay so good so i read them in order no, no, no. They're, I haven't finished writing them. You see, they're coming out oh. as they're written. Right, but uh, yeah. but but the uh, the the finders, the finds and keepers series. Yes. Uh, yes. What is the short stories that you have written? Because I haven't got that yet. Okay. So can you um, tell us a little bit about yeah. those? Uh, yeah. Well, yes, it's kind of an interesting story. So there weren't supposed to be any short stories. They were supposed to be wedged in, kind of like that story of her great grand, her great aunt. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be what happened with the next story. But my 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 publisher revolted. She said he's taking over the book. Oh and no. It's in, and yes, and it's in third person narrative. It's not in first person. It's not from Tanny's point of view. It's from Mark Short's point of view. And um she said you've got to pull him out and give him his own novella because he's taking over <laughs> the book. <laughs> I'm like, typical Mark, the jerk. He would do that kind of stuff. So the next one is, it's so skinny. And I have to say, I think that my, my publisher loved this little story. She loved it so much that even though it really wasn't long enough for a paperback, it's only like 110 pages, um, that she slapped on like, I don't know, four chapters from other books that are coming up in order to make it fat enough to publish. <laughs> so you, you, read the, you read the story and then you're like, if you like this, you'll also like the first two chapters of deep scansion and if you like that you'll also like the first few chapters of what bill is due because those are the next two books and that's the only way to feel and then i also wrote a glossary so that would sort of pad it out you know 
but basically it's it's a lot of fun and she said actually this is a great compliment she gave me I don't know, a couple days ago she said have you considered writing a psychological thriller and i said well not really she said some of shorts story is that's psychological thriller stuff okay so so basically yeah so this is the story of the bad guy from the first book and he's completely un, un, irredeemable right you know by the time you finish reading castellina curse you go i spit on you mark yeah evil little bastard who are you i hate you anyway so then there's and so this is basically what makes him tick and we can assume that he was cursed i think we can assume yeah. that he was suffering from the same curse and that when the big event happens at the end, which we won't discuss too much at the end of the book, <laughs> when there is a giant exorcism scene and much blood flows, um, that he is also exorcised. And so he wakes up locked up in a stable. He's starving. He's filthy. His so-called friend Chekel has chained him to a manger in a stable and left <laughs> him to die. And he wakes up. He's like, dang, he's been eating chicken eggs raw to survive. And so it's him waking up and trying to become a human being. Um, and and trying to get untangled from these incredibly dangerous friends of his. So that mm -hmm. takes us to the next book. And so what happens is it's all sequential. Sequential. So this happens after that one, or at the same time as some of the stuff. And then then the action that happens in Deep Scansion follows from it. In other words, there's uh, he's involved in the big catastrophic scene at the end of Deep Scansion, and all of that stuff having to do with the stolen gold and the fake menorah and all of that stuff, it, the seeds of it are in Short's story. I love that. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a twisted little story. <laughs> my, my publisher calls it, she says it's deranged. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yes. But it's amazing. And I would, oh my gosh, I can't deranged. wait to read it. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's Mark's fault. I, you know, I'm just really? writing down what he did, you know, so. <laughs> for real that would you ever consider writing a psychological thriller i think it would be uh, so amazing especially from like his perspective well you know some of it is like that um it could be i don't know what's going to happen after i finish writing these i do know that i have an historical novel that's been on the back burner forever which i want to write or finish writing or rewrite or revise or whatever it is um about some people who lived in the second century AD. um but yeah, I never it never occurred to me, but I do love Raymond Chandler and I do love that kind of dark, interesting stuff. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Give me a subject and maybe I'll go and do that. I don't know. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> oh, you should have like a contest to see who comes yes. up with the best subject. Yes. Well, I just my a friend of mine who is just unfortunately uh, has discovered she has cancer, but she's going to fight it. So I'm writing her a series of what is it? Twenty six notes. Alphabetical notes, and I said, "Well, I'll cheer you up. I'll send you a piece of story every week, and you just need to give me the inciting incident." So we have started that. Um, it's a pair of wombats at Hadrian's Wall. So uh, they will be having some series. She and I traveled together in, in the UK when we were much younger. So, so yes, um, an inc inciting incident really is is nice to have. But I'll come up with some. Cool, cool. Hey guys, the main weirdo here. I got sick during this interview, so we're going to take a break for just a second, and then we'll be back. Perfect. Okay, so um, the first question that I would like to ask you, since we're back, um, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry guys, we had some, some technical, some difficulties, not technical, but just difficulties um, <laughs> on my part, on my part. 
completely my fault. Uh, but we're back. And so the first question that I'd like to ask you now that we're back yes. is how did you crack the code to writing a novel? <laughs> yes. Well, um, it, it unfortunately wasn't just accidental and it wasn't just like immediate. I mean, was, I would love to say, oh, it was so easy. I just started writing and I was a genius and that was that. And <laughs> that would be great. No, that's the way I was wishing it was. You know, when I first started trying to write novels, I thought, oh, well, surely everything I write is wonderful. And then, yeah. Anyway, so I joined the Historical Novel Society um, and because I was writing a, a book uh, set in, in ancient Rome. And um, I actually learned that you have to, oh, I don't know, practice and have people read your stuff. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And respond. They go, oh gosh, this is way too long. Or it's too this, or it's way too that. And then, then that was like, you know, that went on for about three or four years or so of going to work some progress meetings with, you know, quarterly meetings with this group in the Northern California Historical Novel Society. And then I uh, went to a conference. I went to some, you know, heard some good uh, speakers. And I met, you know, Diana Gabaldon and, and, you know, things like that. And Lindsay Davis. Oh my gosh. That was, that's where I spent all my time. And learned a few things, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that 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 reader did not pick up my sample because now I've heard the other samples. I realized just how bad mine is. <laughs> so so there was a lot of ego adjustment that needed to happen. I mean, I've read forever and, and I love to write, but it still wasn't enough. And what really cracked it, though, is I entered a contest. So it was a flash fiction contest. So I took one chapter of my novel that I was working on. And I pared it down to less than 1,500 words. And in the process of doing that, of tightening it up until it really went ping, um, really made a difference. And I actually placed in the contest. I didn't get first place, but I was, you know, there was first place. Then there was like five other people. Um, but it was, it was enough that I realized, oh, it, it's good. And I see why it's good. And, you know, I heard about this in the Olympics this last year. They said, once you win, you know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, and so what did that feel like? Well, it felt great, but I mean, I guess what I mean is I knew what it took to write that. So right, that's what I right. mean, it, it felt great, but I mean, so that you know what to re revise for and 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 revising is, is the key, right? Uh, you know, right. back when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's so perfect. I don't want to change a single word. It's like, no, uh, read it over, tighten it up. You know, you need like half as many words, but just better words. And um, so that was, that was a huge realization for me. It's like, that's what it takes is to, is to tighten it up until it just pings. It just jumps off the page. And, and that's what I did with my first chapter of Castellina Curse. And it, it just sold itself. It was amazing. Oh, yeah, I mean, it did. It it hooked me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, I get this. And, you know, the stuff that you have to put in the chapter that's going to be then, you know, part of the story mm -hmm. throughout the book, like her mentioning of the tanny sense in the first sentence or so, 
that's going to be huge for the whole series, right? So, right. in fact, kind of brings us full circle with the last book is what happens to her tanny sense. So, um, yeah, that was just kind of like, oh, I get it. But it was basically writing until it was like, it was prize winning. Oh, wow. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, but speaking <laughs> of yeah. tightening everything up, uh, yeah. what did you take out? Can you tell us what you took out? Like, how did you tighten it up? Like, how can you, or is there anything juicy that you left out? Anything, like anything. Oh my gosh. Well, things are so different than they were when I wrote it the first time. Um, I decided I wanted to push everything back. So, um, in the first time I wrote The Castellina Curse, which I think I just called Finds and Keepers, I think that was what it was, um, it was much more drawn out. So the whole business of, you know, are they going to be able to live together? Can they get married and all that kind of old fashioned stuff uh, was pushed way to the end of the book. And so that was all like continuing this big, long, oh, gee, I mean, a typical romance, right? So a typical romance novel is, you know, they get married at the end. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't want to do that. I wanted them to be partners a lot sooner. I wanted them to be not to mess around with that. I just wanted it to kind of be further up towards the book. So that changed a lot um, so that we had a little bit of background of, you know, what her feelings were already. And then we kind of sort of dealt with that early on. And, and that's a little bit unusual, I think, for a romance novel. <laughs> it's like, okay, and now we're married. All right. And so now what happens? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that definitely is different. Um, I'm trying to think what else, other things I had to leave off, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Anything else? Like, what, like specifically that first chapter, how did you tighten that chapter up? Like, what? Because it's very difficult as a reader to imagine, like, what else mm -hmm. could have possibly been in here that, like, got cut kind of a thing. So, like, what did you cut specifically yeah. like, from that first yeah. chapter? Oh, Actually, you know what? The first chapter didn't get changed that much, I have to say. It, it, uh, it's just kind of the whole thing. Um, but the first chapter, it was always about the, the phone call. And that didn't change from the very first time I wrote it. So it was always about the phone ringing, picking up the phone. And she knows right away something's wrong because he's in Italy. He's not in the, at the airport, airport ready for ride home. So, so that, that chapter, actually, I probably just spruced it up a bit. But the whole notion of, you know, jumping in right at the beginning and, and knowing something was up, that was always part of the calculation. The trouble is you have to then write the second chapter and then the third chapter and, and try to keep that kind of going. And, and I guess that was where things really needed to be tightened up um, as we went further on into the book. And I'm not saying that they're, all the chapters are, are as tight as that, but they're definitely better than they were. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, the book is great. So I think you did a great job with tightening everything up. Uh, it's just very, now that I know, like, that you did tighten stuff up, um, I just want to know, like, what you took out. What, was, what did you decide wasn't important? Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know, it's been so long since I've sort of revised it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there was, what was going on? I think we had a scene where the Vanth actually was attacking people. I think Franco was beaten up at the site um, and he had a vision of her. I think we had a faculty retreat to the Alban Hills. I mean, so there was some stuff that was, oh, I know it was actually set in Rome instead of in Tarquinia. So all the complications are going to show up in the next book that take like, 
place when he's the director of the overseas studies thing in Rome. Um, those were all piled into the first book. So it was, there's way too much going on. So I peeled that out so that we're just focusing on Tarquinia, <laughs> just focusing on digging. But the other one had like digging, teaching, this, that, and the other two. It's like a TA. And it was like, ah, there's too much stuff. So that all had to be, be pulled out. What What kept happening was, the story would just get kind of, oh, what was it? It was a weird sensation. It was like I had to uncurl it and flatten it out. It would just get all kind of, all concentrated. And I just had to smooth it out and just prune it. It was like a plant that was like overgrown. And I would have to like take pieces and transplant them <laughs> to another place. Like that whole story of Mark, I told you the second book that just came out. It was like this weird growth. I was like, okay, I have to yank you out, Mark. You're going in a different place. So, <laughs> so these things do happen. And and but you don't and and there's a lot going on still. Um and in, in Deep Scansion, the next book, there's just a lot going on. But it's it's when it, it kind of it goes off in the wrong direction. Um, you know, so you kind of do want to have a point rather than have a, all this like stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, as an aspiring author, I have found myself in that boat as well, where I'm like, okay, it's too muddled. It's too much going on. How do I, like, what do I, how do I weed this out kind of a thing? So I get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to revise for one character or one idea, or at least a couple of ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of brings me to my next question, which mm -hmm. was, if you could like go back in time and tell your younger author self like <laughs> three things, what would those three things be and why would you pick them? Okay, well, we've kind of talked about one or two of them, I think. Yeah. I would say that, that um, just prepare to change things and enjoy that. I, I mean, I think the process itself reveals things. You don't know things until you write them. In other words, uh, I didn't know until I finished a full, the full version of a story, what it was really all about. And then you can go back and revise for that. You can actually say, oh, I get it. I thought it was about this and it's actually about that. So one thing would be to revise, enjoy the revision process. I mean, one thing I call it is, is laying track. If you can't, if you don't write something, you've got nothing to revise. So you may not be in the mood. You may be, you know, maybe you didn't get enough sleep, so you're not quite as wonderful. Your words are not all the best today. But darn it, if you don't write something, you've got nothing to revise. It's sort of like making, I mean, I do art as well. It's like doing a sculpture. If you don't slap the clay on the armature and you don't have something to work with. So you got to write. You just got to write and uh, do, a, do a commonplace book. Um, I think that was the best advice I got from a creative writing teacher. It's just Describe things like, oh, what a beautiful sunset. Well, put it into words. You know, what does it look like? And um, so two things. One would be don't be afraid to revise. Some first ideas are wonderful. And maybe there's a phrase that is so sweet you don't want to lose it. I mean, that's really true. But you have to, you know, ba balance that with changing it. The other thing would be to, um, yeah, just write. Just write and get it down. Um, the other one, I guess, is keep trying. Uh I, you know, that's revolting. I have to say that's like the most revolting advice at all, of all, because, you know, I tried to sell my previous versions of these things and no one wanted them. They didn't want to look at them. But I can sort of see why, because I hadn't developed my craft. I hadn't had the humbleness 
to go to conferences and have people read this and go, oh my God, you know, this needs to be tightened up. And so, so I would say, yeah, write, write, write. Um, don't be afraid to revise and don't be afraid to learn how to write. <laughs> So, oh yeah, education is super important, definitely. Oh, I'm sorry, just go ahead. No, that's it. That's it, really it. I, and, and instead of thinking it's all so wonderful and you're so perfect, <laughs> I think we all have a little bit of that ego inside of us, though, where we're just yes. like, oh yeah. Sometimes though, we get a little bit too high on our horses. I definitely <laughs> do at times. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I have a question about writing the opposite sex. How, how did you do it? And did you have any struggles doing that? Um, and if so, what were they? That's a really interesting question. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, you know. Men have been writing from women's points of view forever. You know, I, I bring this out. I think there's actually a conversation about that in the second book. Is how can you possibly do this if you're a that? You know, well, I'm not a that. I have a huge imagination. I mean, so how did Tolstoy write Anna Karenina? Hello, she's a female character, you know. Um, so I, uh, I, I guess you live with people, you know, like husbands and boyfriends and brothers and things like that. And so you observe them. You, you listen to them. I used to teach a lot. I taught high school kids. I taught all different ages, boys, girls, all those people. And you see how they behave, uh, you know, what, what they what they do. So I think it's all about observation, really, and, and having an affection. I mean, honestly, if you don't like people and you don't think they're really cool, you're not going <laughs> to like, oh, that's so wonderful. I've got to capture that. It's just so cool. So um, I guess it's a combination of just putting yourself in other people's shoes, right? So mm -hmm. you have to think, well, what would they be thinking? Or, you know, what is my brother thinking? And so if you're an empathetic person, I think you've got a huge leg up. Uh, you know, if you think, if you're the kind of person who knows exactly what sort of presence someone would like. Yeah, yeah. Boy or girl, exactly what they would like. Then you can sort of begin to think like that person. And and I have to, can I tell you a strange story that happened today? Yeah. And, okay, so um, actually it was yesterday. We just came back by train from Seattle visiting our family up there. And in the train station in Seattle, which is a beautiful train station, oh my gosh, King Street Station, it's just gorgeous. They fixed it all up. I saw Jim Lewis. I swear, I saw Jim Lewis, and he had two beautiful sons and a very good-looking wife. And he was getting gray at the temple, very slender, very tall, very dark. And and his son had the most beautiful eyes. I thought, oh my gosh, he really exists. <laughs> so here they were seeing off their oldest son. He was going off to college. And I watched this family. I said, holy cow, it's like Tanny and Jim. What's going on here? It's like 20 years out. Anyway, so I, sometimes you'll see people and you're like, that's the face. Um, that, that happened to me when I was, at, I used to teach at Texas A&M. I remember seeing a student. I thought, that's John Prester. That's who that is. He's blonde. He has a little goatee. He's kind of petite. It was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly him. So you, you can get people like that in your head that it's super easy to describe them. So once you can oh, visualize, yeah. once you can visualize a place, um, you can walk around inside it. Then your descriptions are accurate. I realize I'm going off to another question. But a friend, when I first wrote this, my friend said, I don't believe the hypogeum space. It's too big. You've just, you're describing it wrong. And so you have to really visualize before you can describe. Yeah. Um, so I think at least one of the struggles that I have found, sorry, my dogs are in the background. Um, That's okay. <laughs> Uh, 
one of the, the biggest struggles that I have found, especially when writing um, like the opposite sex and just, well, not necessarily re- when writing the opposite sex, but describing yeah, um, just sort of like setting time, place, those kinds of things right. is I tend to get into this like very flowery language yes, and then it yes. gets very muddled and it, yes. <laughs> so do you have any tips? on like how to cut <laughs> down on the flowery language because I, I want to describe like a sunset and all of a sudden oh. it's I'm five pages later and <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's it's oh what's her name you know the one who does that uh, middle march oh dear the sentence that's three <laughs> pages long oh my yes yes not my favorite author I'm sorry um, but but no. Uh, no sorry I have I have English major friends to swear by Middlemarch, but no, thank you, no. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I guess the danger is always sloping off into melodrama, right? The danger is saying, mm-hmm. you know, he swooped down upon her and, you know, brushed her with his lips. And and you're like, okay, is that really what we want to do here? Um, but uh, yeah, simplifying, uh, you know, there's a famous, I forget who said it, but they said, my, I would have written a shorter letter if I had more time. Um, in other words, it, you need, you need to tighten it. You need to tighten it. You need to see that. Mm. I probably don't, I, what I'll do is I'll say the same thing twice in a sentence. It's sort of like reading the Psalms, you know, you say, say the same thing twice in the same line and, and that's got to go. But yeah, how do you, so you're still asking about the opposite sex too. I mean, what is he really thinking? You know, when he's looking at you like that, um, you know, you can only, you can only infer us, but that's, that's the easy thing about a first person narrative, frankly. The easy thing is yeah. you can only, you can only go so much into somebody's brain and you just have to like get it from looking at them. Right. So that's actually a simpler way to approach it. Um, the second book I wrote is in third person, the one, the one about Mark, but we still, it's an intimate third person. So we're inside his head and we're inside some other people's heads. Um, you know, it kind of depends on the era, whether you're allowed to do that sort of thing. Um, it's like Patrick O'Brien does an intimate third person he, with his, uh, uh Aubrey, Aubrey Maturin books. And so you see basically inside everybody's head, which is really cool, but it's, it's hard to pull off anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you, you know, we are no longer in the age of Gilbert and Sullivan, although even they were not that flowery when you get down to it. And so you just can't get away with that kind of stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, we're in the age of you know, 100 and 250 characters. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> trying to get it down to that is Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my 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 editor um, wants to get rid of the the passive voice, which I think is very irritating of her. <laughs> oh, I like the passive voice, darn it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. There are yeah. for it, but I like it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the perfect passive, things like that, darn it. Anyway, go ahead. You were going to say something else. Oh, um, I was going to say, so not necessarily when writing the opposite sex, but just any yes. of your characters. Yes. So I kind of want a little bit of a behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Is there anything that we should know that you didn't put in the books about our two, about our two main characters? Like about <laughs> them, like personally? Oh, uh, well, we discover that uh, Jim becomes quite a different person when he's drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will learn more about that, <laughs> dangerously so. Um, and, and um, oh, yeah, what do we not know about them? 
Tanya is kind of an open book. I mean, she doesn't hold back much, except, you know, for things about where did she get her tanny sense? And what about that? <laughs> what about that uh, warlock guy? And how is she related to him? And um, stuff like that. I'm sorry, I don't seem to be answering this properly. Um, things we don't know about them. Yeah, like Jim can have a terrible temper too. So there's there's interesting things that will turn up in the second book where they're both kind of put th through the ringer. They're absolutely put through the ringer. Um, the, the, the title is incredibly obscure. So hopefully after reading this book, everyone will know what scansion is. I think it's explained in the second or third chapter. It has to do with poetics uh, in classical languages. And, and the idea that we, we become something we're not, um, that we are no longer a long syllable, we're now a short syllable. Um, and that's, that's a big point of, of what are they really? And so we take a look at what makes them fall apart. What, what destroys them really? Oh, I love that. That's so fascinating and interesting. Um, I'm really excited for that part. Oh my gosh, this is going to be <laughs> very interesting to read. Um, so what is your, like, Number one thing that you get out of writing, like what is it that just like what is it about writing that just like <laughs> floats your boat? Oh wow! Um, well, when it's going well, it's 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 this wonderful in in the zone. I mean, I don't know if you saw the movie Soul, but he plays jazz uh, piano, and when he's in the zone, he's like in another world. And I can get in the zone and when I'm writing and, it, and it's going really well, and I can look up and it's three hours later. And it's so weird because you're just like off there somewhere um, and just cranking this stuff out. And, and, and sometimes you go back and you go, did I write that? Where did that come from? So, so it is a wonderful kind of a warm feeling uh, when you're really, really going. And, um, and, and you I really love my characters and I love seeing what they do. Um, and, and, and so, Basically, you will never have to read another novel because you keep writing one and you rewrite it. And you're like, wait, that scene wasn't quite cool enough. So I think I'd better go back to it and do it again. So it's kind of like that. It's pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds really, really awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, um, I don't buy many novels anymore. Do you ever get writer's block? Um, no, 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 I don't. I, I, I can sit and think about a problem and I'm like, how the heck am I going to get them out of this? Or, or geez, how am I going to end this? You know, but then what I do is I get my handy dandy. I don't see it right here with me. Um, I have to work things out on paper when I get stuck with a plot problem. But when it comes okay. to that, so I have this paper, this quadrille paper. As I said, I'm also an artist. And also when I used to plan my classes, I would use this grid paper. You can see that. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and a good, uh, good soft, you know, 2B pencil, um, automatic pencil with an eraser. And I will very neatly and gradually work it out and just wait until the thought comes. And as I write, then I can work out the problem. So it's it's there. The Greeks discovered there's many ways of thinking. You can think while water is flowing on your head. You can think while you're walking and talking with a friend. And there's different ways of getting your brain to work and and working on the plot right there and erasing and thinking um, works for me. But as far as actually not being able to write, 
I can usually write something. It may not be any good. It may not be any good, but honestly, if you're just like, and she picked up one foot and she put it down and she picked up the other foot, she put that one out. I mean, it's better than nothing. (laughs) So that's um, true. Yeah, I know. I I hear a lot about writer's block um, and I must have the right atmosphere. Now, having said that, I have all sorts of weird things around my desk that I love to have on my desk. I've got my I've got my miniature walnut ship that I got in Florence in the Pinocchio shop. Um, It's made in a wall. You know, so I have all sorts of weird things that that I love to look at. Okay, so that's okay. I think that's allowed. Um, And I have a standing desk now because I was I was just sitting so much, you know, I have to had to get a standing desk. So having a deadline and having to write and all this stuff, having the right equipment is really good. But you kind of don't know what you need until you need it. So why bother buying all this stuff? You know, like, oh, I must have this latest gadget. You know, Uh, do you? But, you know, when you're really hungry for it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired of sitting. I've got to do this. I mean, I was piling up books on a bookshelf and standing up and doing it like that. I thought, oh, this is this is cheesy. We can do this better. So so the the short answer is no, you just got to write something. And, you know, you can write almost anything you could write up. Uh, laundry list and it would be better than nothing yeah so basically for the listeners just write <laughs> something anything yeah. is better than nothing it really yeah. is because like you like you were saying earlier as long yeah. as you have something to work with yeah. then it's at least you have some sort of like platform to leap off from right or you know at, or an idea of like, okay, I absolutely don't want to do that, you know, exactly. or something. Right. No, absolutely. You can say, oh, well, that's version three. Now we're on to version four. <laughs> I'm going to go back to where it stopped being horrible. And then I'm yeah. going to cut all that other stuff out. I'm going to save it, you know, in case I need it, which you rarely do. Um, and then I'm going to go from there. So you whittle back. But yeah, um, it's all about revising. I can't remember. I feel like I saw a bumper sticker or something about revising and how that's what that's the secret joy is actually in revising. Um, but if you ain't got nothing to revise, you can't just sit there and wait for the perfect word to drop onto the page. It's more like, oh, yeah. come, it's more like they come if you just start. Right. Um, I had, well, okay. So it was not me short side quest guys. Um, my mom had an English professor when she was in college working on her master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, she swears by this person. This person became sure. a family friend. Like it was amazing. Um, and she said the first draft of anything, excuse my language, is shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. So true. you have to revise like and, and her yeah. point in saying that was that, yeah. like, just throw up on the page because it's yes. something. Yeah, because you're learning something as you write. You're finding out about your story. And honestly, the process is it's weird it's kind of mysterious where all that happens but but as you as you write you learn what you're supposed to be writing about and if you don't write then you won't find out um and you won't be able to revise to that but yeah barfing on the page I suppose is sort of like that (laughs) yeah your your way is much more eloquent but yes (laughs) yeah yeah just just slap some mud onto the armature I think is probably a little bit a little bit less disgusting although mud and shit probably but anyway yes you know I I I think that's that's true I mean I yeah I remember in high school there's an art teacher and you know you know how you love your drawings you're like oh my perfect drawing I'm gonna look at it forever 
And this guy would actually make you throw that one away. Can you imagine how painful, how painful is that? But it's almost like that with writing, you know, but no, but it's true. Once you've drawn something, you know how to draw it. You can go back and do a better job the second time, but that's a grizzly. I just can't believe. <laughs> After all, Da Vinci did not have to throw away the Mona Lisa. He just kept tinkering with it for four years. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's nonsense. Forget all that. <laughs> Okay, last question, and then yes. I will let you go. I'm so sorry. Oh, dear. Okay. What inspires you to write, and what do you hope to inspire in others? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. There's a lot going on in my stories, and there's a lot of odd sort of psychic stuff going on in my stories. I don't know if anybody noticed, but there's a lot of between the worlds um going on uh partly from my from my marvel comics days of dr strange and the astral realm <laughs> and tanny sense by the way used to be spidey sense before i change it uh it's something you have that sense ah oh, i think i anyway but what what do i hope i hope i i hope to write characters who are admirable and 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 and, and inspire other people to also be admirable i think i really, I really um I, I'm, I'm so tired of cruel people. I'm so tired of cruel characters and people who are cruel to their characters. Jane Smiley can be incredibly cruel to her human characters. She's sweet to her horses. Her horses always have a good time in her story, but the, she does terrible things to her humans. And I, I feel like life is bad enough. Life is bad enough. We don't have to make fiction bad too. No, honestly, I've spent many hours at bedsides. Uh, you know, I've lost both my parents. And, and the thing that was good was a good novel, a Dickens novel, something that's going to take you away. And they're, they're almost invaluable when you're in grief, having a good story, and, and it'll take you out of yourself. So I want to have people that, you could, that work out real problems and that kind of inspire you to be a better person, honestly. That's what I hope. That is so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And I admire your quest for admirable characters. That's amazing. I love that. Um, tell everybody one last time where they can find you and your books, um, and then I will let you go. I'm so sorry to keep you. No, 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 this is wonderful. I could, I'm, I could blather about this stuff forever. You know how it is, the ego, you know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they can find my books on Amazon right now. It'll, the next book should come out as well on, uh, in Barnes & Noble, um, at least in the digital format. So. Uh, you have to look uh, for Kate DeLuca. That's Kate and then C-A-T-E and then D-E-L-U-C-A -E and Finds and Keepers. If you have all of those things together, you have half a chance of finding it on Amazon. It's quite deeply buried. Uh, and, and the first book's Castellina Curse. The second one is, is a short story. The third one is coming out on Tuesday um, is Deep Scansion. But uh, also I'm on Riparia Publications. I can see it's, you can see it. But anyway, it's uh, Ray Perry uh, uh, publications at uh, squarespace.com uh, has all of my publications. I have all sorts of weird projects um, going on. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I have a, there's a friend, Finds and Keepers Facebook that I do update pretty often. So you can take a look at that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so sorry about the, the thing that happened. <laughs> but I had such a good time. Oh. I had such a good time talking to you, and thank you for coming back. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you talking to me. I, I just 
I really do. That's very, very kind of you. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you and your books. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, be kind and stay weird. Bye, guys. <laughs>